0: Tonight on Arena, we celebrate the Oscar nominations with cast members of the Banshees of Inish Aaron and on Colin Kuhn. Five, one, double, five, one is the text you can tweet the programme at RTE Arena. To coin an acronym, Glorious, Unbelievable, Brilliant and unprecedented. It's impossible to imagine a momentous day with more more M's for Irish film. Indeed, some say the experience of watching the Oscar nominations earlier today was reminiscent of watching Italia 90. Such was the level of jubilation and air-punching antics as category... After Category Honoured Irish Work. Here are the key headlines. Banish Finish Erin, Banshees Finish Erin, nine nominations, including Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, On the Double, Best Supporting Actress, Best Director, and, of course, Best Film. Colin Farrell, Brennan Gleeson, Barry Coghan and Kerry Condon all in the mix. First Oscar nominations for all of them. Paul Meskell also receives his first Oscar nomination in Charlotte Wells' Beautiful and Understated After Sun, meaning that of the 20 nominations for acting... In total, five. Go to Irish performers. Of course, that's not all. The film we were all perhaps most emotionally invested in, on Colin Kuhn, is up for Best International Feature Film, beating off the intense competition left, right, and centre to make the final five. And by the way, all of this is before we even mention a short film, An Irish Goodbye, which was nominated. The Irish editor, Jonathan Redmond, nominated for his work on Elvis, and Irish man Richard B- Bannum, who is among the visual effects nominees for his work on Avatar the Way the Way of Water 14 nominations in all. Joining me now to get well and truly carried away with ourselves if we aren't already are Ruth Barton and Paul Whittington. Later on we'll be speaking with Andrew Bennett and Joan Sheehy from on Colin Kuhn, Erin Monaghan and Breej who both of whom were part of the Banshees uh, of Inish Erin. Paul, a day like today, yeah, uh, being even, even being on the edge of anything to do with Irish film, yeah. it's just a wonderful place to be.
1: Yeah, you, 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 it, it was very joyful as I said to you the, the, I was watching it at home and the one I really cheered for was Colleen Keown because this is a film that just keeps exceeding all expectations and deservedly so because it's just it, it's a marvellous film so that, that was very emotional Banshees we we knew was going to do well but there are even it's done even better than we thought because mm. uh, having two actors in the best supporting actor like Barry Cohen as well is, is amazing and uh, Carrie Condon I was hoping though it was by no means a certainty and she really deserves it because she was so important so pivotal in that film and then Paul Mescal, who I I thought People were talking him up. I thought he was a bit of a long shot, but he is superb in that film. After someone was kind of overlooked otherwise, cause it's mm. an amazing film. But, I mean, a nomination for him is is exceptional at this stage in his career.
0: And I don't care who wants us to look at all of them in a balanced type of way. I try desperately, <laughs> I try desperately to be balanced, but I've already failed because I know I will fail in, in doing that. We're, obviously, we want to prioritise those with an Irish interest there. Best original screenplay was one of the early categories they announced and this started the ball rolling really for the banshees of miniture and Ruth
2: it really did and I mean I you know I I agree with everything Paul has said I think it's one of those moments where you know where you were when you when you heard the news and you look yeah. back and you remember where you were particularly that um, yeah. nomination from foreign Kinn. Um it no it's great and I think you know I love that that nomination best original screenplay for banshees and then it rolls on and then it rolls mm. on and you know I was I was sitting watching it at to yeah. online, and I was thinking, you know, will we get there? Will we get there? And, and they did it really nicely, too. It's quite understated, the whole Oscar thing. There wasn't sort of,
1: it was, it, I agree. It, it was the, the, the presenters were quite understated. There was, unfortunately, a small mob in the corner making lots of noise yeah, every time this- everything, everywhere, all at once was mentioned. So I don't know who they were, <laughs> but uh, that, that was yep. obviously a big story on the other side 11 mm-hmm. nominations. But I watched it on the BBC. And they weren't talking much about all the Irish nominations. It's funny that, isn't it? It's
0: an unusual <laughs> uh, development, <laughs> <national. laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> one. No, yeah, as, as long as they weren't talking too much about the British nominations, <laughs> <laughs> that might come in time.
2: Wait we hear that these are our, that these are British actors, and then everybody's on <laughs> well, The whole story, <laughs> as well, of course,
1: of Martin McDonough, who was born in London, but however, yes, however, yeah, yeah. yeah they yeah. blame yeah. him. Yeah. Let, yeah. L-
0: uh, let us be magnanimous and talk about Irish yeah. interest in films. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and yeah. perhaps our cohorts across the uh, uh, ocean would think of referring to Irish interest somewhere along the line.
2: Well they're always giving us deuce points so here are our deuce points. And also Sean
0: Bill now
1: he's um, uh, he's Irish on his mother's side he told me last year you you claim half of him. Well he's claiming it. His leg. (laughs) He does. (laughs)
0: If he's starting to claim it we're (laughs) going to join the line. I'm going to play a clip from, from Banshees. I mean I think we all pretty much know this is a bit too uh, great friends who fall out, um, one played by Colin Farrell, one played by Brendan Gleeson, and, and you know, what ensues after that. Both of them obviously nominated, but I'm going straight to the clip that features, you've both mentioned Kerry Condon, mm. and, who's up for Best Supporting Actress, and Barry Cogan, who's up for Best Supporting Actor, alongside Brendan Gleeson. Now, he's a young fella in, in the area. She's the sister of Colin Farrell. This scene is absolutely heartbreaking and for mm. me was, was really touching, the emotional yeah. heart If yeah. people are talking about whether there's an emotional heart in the, in the film or not oh, there is. Yeah. this mm. is the emotional heart of the film mm. for me
3: I'm glad I caught you actually because there was something I was wanting to ask you actually and discovering how much we have in common well it just makes me want to ask you even more we don't have anything in common uh, don't skip ahead but yeah what I was wanting to ask you was Something along the lines of, should have planned this, really. But yeah, what I was wanting to ask you was, you probably wouldn't ever want to, I don't know, to fall in love with a boy like me, would you? No, oh, Dominic, I don't think so, love. Oh, yeah, no. I, I was thinking no. Not even in the future, like, like, when I'm your age. Yeah, no, I didn't think so. Just thought I'd ask in the off chance, you know, like Finn Hart and that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there goes that dream.
0: Barry Kogan and Kerry Condon in a scene there from the Banshees of Inish And, you know, even as they listen to it again now, I've mm. listened to it a couple of times before we came to her. It's just such a powerful such a powerful scene they both it's so
1: beautifully done and even if you don't know what happens
0: afterwards it's just
1: heartbreaking because you feel for them both in a funny
0: way yeah Joining us on the line, breach Nienachtan, who plays Mrs Reardon, the all-knowing postmistress in The Panshees of Inish Erin, and Erin Monaghan, who plays the character of Declan, who kind of replaces the, the Colin Farrell character in terms of Brendan Gleeson's character and their relationship with each other. But I'll, I'll come to you first, uh, breach Nienachtan. I suppose Mrs Reardon knew about these nominations well before anybody else, I would have thought. <laughs>
4: Well, I mean, one of the lines she had with uh, Tim Porrick was, was, ah, this is shite news, but actually it's not shite news today, it's great news. It
0: certainly is. And thank you for sharing the words, let us hasten to add, of Martin McDonagh uh, with us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a quote. Yeah. That is, that's a quite definite quote. Um, where, where were you when you heard uh, Breach?
4: Well, I hadn't heard because I was—I had a meeting in town, so I my phone was off, so I didn't hear until quite late. <laughs> what had uh, what? What? How many nominations we had got? So it, it was brilliant. It, it, it's just brilliant, and it's—it's just—I feel very privileged mm. and very lucky, really, to be a part of it, and uh, very proud today.
0: Yeah, well, your, your your fellow cast member Aaron Monahan is also on the on the line this evening. Aaron, you were in with us actually a couple of nights back talking about the opening night of Dante the opening of Dante Dan with Gina Moxley's play. It's opening tonight, so we obviously can't keep you here for the entire evening. But um, where, where were you? Where you when you heard? Please don't say you were stuck up a, a, a ladder trying to fix a lighting cue or something like that. <laughs>
5: I wasn't quite up a ladder, Sean. No, but um, I, I I was in the middle of a tech rehearsal, so I I got a, a kind of a flurry of texts and and calls, and I I just immediately turned my phone off. I mean, it was I was thrilled when I heard it will kind of uh, kind of get on with the day. So I, I've only gotten to to read the news in the last couple of hours, and mm. I'm just absolutely thrilled. And like Breeze, like incredibly proud. I think I have a very very small part, so I feel very lucky to be part of it. I, I don't I don't feel I should be joining in. Celebrations too much, but like it's it's thrilling news for people. Like um, I'm, I'm not surprised if I'm really honest, because like the script is so incredible, mm-hmm. the cinematography is amazing. Um, I'm familiar with Martin's work, Kerry Condon, Barry Kilgan, uh, Brendan Gleeson, Colin Farrell. They're all tremendous actors. So like it, it's amazing that they're finally you know getting recognised. But in, in I'm not surprised at all. they they're they're stunning.
0: Yeah, and you had you had of course been part of Martin McDonagh's plays uh, b- big productions of some of the plays in fact
5: Yeah, it's it's funny when you played that clip there of, of Barry and, and Kerry uh, it, it feels very familiar um, with the play uh, the, the beautifully kind of heartbreaking scene in, in The Cripple of Inish Man which, which I played in many, mm. many years ago opposite Kerry and I think it has its roots there um, I know Breed is very familiar with that place She was in the original production as well So yeah, I mean it's 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 no surprise. I've been I've been watching Martin's work for years and you know, it's it's a really good day and in a bizarre way I'm not at all surprised. I'm really thrilled.
0: Yeah, and I suppose, Bridge, going back to you, you were involved in early productions of Martin McDonagh plays as well. And I, those of us who have a little graff for the theatre world, I suppose, would be saying, "Well, sure, of course, he came from the theatre world. It's where all the great people come from." <laughs> to, to what extent, even working on the film with him, and I know you will say you would only a small role within it. Did you did you get that sense of the theatre practitioner within this filmmaker?
5: Oh, absolutely. yeah,
4: very much. I mean- I,
0: just let Bridge take that one first, Aaron. Yeah.
4: Absolutely. I mean, we rehearsed for three days before we shot anything in Galway. We all sat around the table. So we were all familiar with each other before we kind of came on set. So it was like rehearsing a play, really. And it was Martin's way of introducing us all, us hearing what the other actor, hearing the other voices. And even down to the musicians, he had a session in in we were we read it in druid and he had a session one afternoon with the musicians we were all we we all just sat around and had a glass of wine and stuff and listened to the musicians playing and again, it was his way of making the musicians comfortable because, I mean, it, it was a huge juggernaut. You know, you knew you were involved in a huge, uh, big-budget movie. So, uh, and, and, and again, like Aaron, I was just, we just had, I just had a small part. You felt you were mm. just a small cog in that big wheel, but nevertheless, a cog. So by the time you got on set, uh, you were familiar. You knew. Yeah. You you heard the other. You in my in my um, uh, scene with Colin. So I heard Colin's um, interpretation of. Uh, of porridge.
0: yeah so that that's very Always interesting Aaron. Daunting. yeah, and that's that's very interesting what 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 Breach says there about this idea of all being present at rehearsals because that in you know, in a play situation, no matter how big or small the part you're playing is you're sitting around the table on that first day that first reading, and that's a that's a really important moment, and the fact that you had those rehearsals uh must have added hugely to it, and you had you play a musician in it as well. how did all that work out when you heard the musicians actually playing Aaron?
5: Um, well, it was, it, it was kind of terrifying, really, because like I said, I, I, I read, the, I read the, the screenplay and I realised that I, I'm playing a, a music student who plays the fiddle. Um, and I thought, am I going to get away with like, m- miming the fiddle? But knowing Martin being Martin, he, he's a very exacting director. When, when, when Breed was saying about rehearsals, um, in, in, when you go on to a film set, a lot of the time you can kind of ad-lib words. But because Martin's a playwright, you don't ad-lib his words. There's a musicality in his words. So th- that's what a lot of the rehearsals were as well. Like, you, you can't play around with it. You drop that word there. He's very exact with it. But because he's very exacting, he, he was very clear with me that I had to learn how to play the fiddle. So I had to I had to go away for um, a couple of months. And I learned two tunes um, uh, at a very good teacher called Donald McKaig. And uh, yeah, he stuck me in the middle of these incredible <laughs> fiddle players, these uh, wonderful musicians. And um, he kind of kept that atmosphere up on set as well. I remember some of those scenes that we were playing with the musicians. Um, Brendan, who is an amazing fiddle player as well, he he took out his fiddle and would start playing and the lads would start playing along. So it kind of became a very, it was a very, very mm. joyous shoot. It was very, very relaxed and, and a lot of fun to do. Yeah,
0: uh, let me bring in... Two of the other, the, the other two cast members that we have with us this evening, uh, delighted that joining us on the line are cast members from on Colleen Andrew Bennett, who plays the character of Sean, who, along with his his wife, Eileen, played by uh, Carrie Crowley Foster, a young a quite neglected relative coach, the, the Colleen Kuhn, the quiet girl of, of the title, wonderfully played by a young actress called Catherine Clinch. And also joining us is Joan Sheehy, who, not unlike um, Breeze Neen Acton's character in in uh, The Banshees, kind of knows everything that's going on in the community. So delighted to have both uh, Joan and Andrew join us. Now, Andrew, you're in New York. So
6: I'd, I'd, what way did that work out for you? Uh, when did you hear the news? Uh, not all that long ago. I'm only, I'm not long up. Um, <laughs> I, I was out last night with um, a friend of yours and mine, Colette Morris, last night, and uh, I'm afraid I missed the whole thing. So I, I, I'm literally waking up to, I, I'm, I'm listening to your show here going, God almighty, I didn't know half of this, you know. Uh, it's great. Congratulations, Aaron. Congratulations, Breed. Congratulations, Joan. It's fantastic.
0: Joan, uh, you were actually in uh, in the Stella Cinema today, I believe, with That's right. The with the cast yes. was it with with members of the cast and crew of Uncalling Tune was it? Yes, most of the team were in the Stella Cinema, and
7: I mean we had an extraordinary day. Um, like there was all that lovely meeting beforehand and sitting down and cheering the other nominations as they happened, and then everything went very quiet. Like when it came to the best foreign language film, <laughs> and I didn't realise that they were going to be announced in alphabetical order. And so one, two, three, four came and you think, oh my God, there's only one slot left. <laughs> and and time went very fast and very slow simultaneously, if you understand me. Yeah. But when it happened, it was just glorious and we shouted and jumped and cheered and... and actually missed the next few nominations because we were so excited. <laughs>
0: That's kind of acceptable behaviour, I would have thought. How quickly, when, when all of that died down, Joan, um, were there tears?
7: Yeah, there were tears. Tears tears in that lovely way that you're shouting and laughing and yet your, your eyes are all wet mm. and you look around and other people are just the same and <coughs> hugging and kissing and just the excitement that you know a relatively small scale film can have this this impact yeah
3: let's let's mm-hmm.
0: have a, let's have a listen to a, a, a clip then as I say, Andrew playing the character of Sean, who's effectively the foster father in this in this particular situation to the little girl Koch, who comes into to, to their house. And initially there's in a quite, it's a bit of a standoff between Sean and, and the young Colleen Kuhn, but they do get to, to know each other a little bit better. And by the time we get to this scene, she's full of questions all about Bonya and Coddutair Shul leshnaba, So isleshan Laisn
3: I'm your water. No. What
6: do you think
3: your know water? I'm
6: not sure
3: your know it. it. you know water. What
6: do you son. about
3: you think about you
6: think about your water? What
3: do you think about your water? What you think about your water? What you
6: Sure,
0: look. There we go, Andrew Bennett uh, in, and Catherine Clinch there in a scene from Colleen Kuhn, which of course was nominated today uh, down to that final five. And as Joan Sheehy describing to us there, it was the fifth one called out. <laughs> I mean, the hearts must have been absolutely uh, up in the mouth. But Andrew, I'm listening to that clip and it brings me right back yeah, to the film and the wonderful chemistry that, that grew between yourself uh, as Sean and C- Catherine Clinch as the character of College. They, uh, Bridge and Aaron talking about this kind of atmosphere on the set of The Banshees where everybody was in this big community that was shot on the islands as we know between Ingeman and Achill and, and there was, seems to be a sense of community there with those people. What was the atmosphere like on the set of On Colleen Coon for you, Andrew?
6: Uh, it was very odd. Um, you know, we were at the height of COVID, so we were all masked up. Y- you would be collected at, you know, five, six o'clock in the morning and driven out to 1981 in County Mead. <laughs> uh, everybody masked up. Uh, you know, communication was cut down, like, fairly severely. So there was quite a an intense atmosphere. Like, it, not frighteningly intense, but sort of... Um, I don't want to be too pretentious about mm. it, but like slightly holy atmosphere, really. Um, it, there was, uh, people were kind of very grateful to, well, to have a job at all, because, you know, as I say, everything was closed down at the time. But there was also, I, I think, there was a kind of a special feeling about it, um, like right from the start. We we didn't do rehearsals. I was listening there earlier, mm. and the lads were saying about how they rehearsed. We didn't really rehearse. We Did one reading and then, you know, on the day when we were shooting, we would obviously like run the scene. But then kind of Colin would kind of let it go. Uh, He was very. um, This is Colin Barade, the director. Colin Barade, the director. Yeah. He was very kind of hands. Like, obviously, he was entirely hands on, but he didn't give you that impression. He gave you the impression of he he let you kind of very free. Mm. In yourself. So, in a way, it was kind of, it was so well set up, you know, right from the beginning, right from the source material, that all you kind of had to do was kind of slot in, you know, and if you're acting with Catherine Clinch, you know, she just makes everything so easy, you know, like she's just so...
0: If I'd say, and Joan he would back me up on this, and, and Catherine Clinch would too, if she would hear if you're acting opposite Andrew Bennett, it, it's a pretty easy task, <laughs> I would have thought as well, <laughs> well. Listen, I'm going to um, <laughs> we, be- we better let uh, you guys go, uh, you to get sorted out for, for later on in the day Andrew, and to, to respond to yes, some of those sir. texts, and, and indeed uh, Aaron, to get, to get into his into his opening night, congratulations just uh, stay with me for one moment Breezy you and know, um, congratulations to all of you uh, on, on all of the nominations, and let us hope we'll be celebrating further down the line. Bridge, catch the wine on Craic Nu Láta. off you can show is gone on Gaelic Irish language films. We're in a whole new place. I'm thinking of you and in Rosie and Frank. You know your own Irish language film.
4: Oh, it's wonderful! It's absolutely wonderful, Sean. I mean uh, that Alan Eslemon had that vision that we could tell our stories through the medium of Irish, and that it wasn't just our some that that we could punch above our weight and go for the big one and my god hasn't it played you know yeah. paid off today yeah. well, it's listen. absolutely wonderful and it's great for young directors young actors coming forward you know that they can that can say on their CV, Laudum Gwilga. You yeah, know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's fantastic. Harvar, we'll listen.
0: We'll abuikas us, Shin, uh, August Nish, Bridge, uh, Bridge, and Nyakdan, and Shin, and Bridge, of course, one of the cast members of the Banshees of Inish Air, and still with me in studio, uh, we have Ruth. Uh, Barton and and Paul Whittington. I mean, you can hear the absolute joy across the four of them. It's hard not mm. to be not to be touched by all of that. No, it, this this is it is a case of the, you know the, the the rising tide lifts all ships.
1: Absolutely, and particularly at this time when when cinema is in such a state after COVID, and uh, I mean Irish cinema, fool enough isn't in that much of a state. People aren't mm. going to the cinema as much. They're beginning to more now. But there's two things that were said there. One was about you're saying how Banshees and Martin McDonnell came from the theatre and H- how he works up I might be
0: a bit biased you
1: might be a tiny bit Sean <laughs> I know why that is but but it doesn't feel like a play it, he doesn't fall mm. into that error and also Andrew Bennett said about this kind of holy thing on this. I know what he means because yeah. it, it's one of the most moving films I've ever seen it's
0: very touching uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah it gets at something about what it was to be Irish
0: at that time and Paul Meskell sorry Ruth you
1: were no, going to I say I was
2: just going to say too I think that nod to TG Cahar and the infrastructure that they put the City in Cahar yeah, I mean, yeah. the Sydney project the project is really important yeah. because they they did something that was different, and they gave a lot of support to people like Colin berade to make that film. It's had and, a huge impact. Yeah, film. and I mm-hmm. think that that's really crucial. And you, and and but this is like years of infrastructure are paying yeah. off in it a way. It did not
0: start last week. it no, no. didn't start last week. And Paul Maskell, we should know. Oh, uh, obviously, this, this is a great news for again, like one five out of twenty. Uh, acting yeah. nominations are Irish that's phenomenal mm. a quarter
2: it's, it is phenomenal but I mean he really deserves it I thought After Sun is a fantastic film and mm-hmm. and it was it, it wasn't an easy part to play because you had to be kind of an emotion emotionally blank but engaging was at the same time kind of almost time. a
1: ghost in the film wasn't yeah, it? because
2: he, was, he was remembered
8: that's uh, right, uh, by it? the main mm. character um, yeah. but there's this
2: mystery around him which you're, yeah. you, and w- when we watched it we spent quite a long time after his Discussing what had happened at the end. Yeah, what, meant, test, what yeah. it meant. What had really happened there. Yeah. And, so, and he, he he's playing somebody who's a father in this film. He's just almost gone straight from, not quite, but from normal people yeah. where he's the, the young love interest to playing a father well beyond his age. And he's hes a Scottish character in this. And it, it comes effortlessly to mm. him, it seems, but evidently it's not because he's fantastically talented. But... I was, you know, like like you were saying, I was afraid this film would be one of those films where there was a lot of excitement about it at the time of its release, but then that would, you know, get usurped by the big juggernauts of of yeah. pictures. But it didn't, it, it, you know, it got there, and 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 more power to them for getting it in there.
0: How hopeful
1: can we be, Paul? Uh, well I think we can be quite hopeful in terms of Banshees because it's 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 there's two or three films now you would think who are in, in the running for best picture and and the Fablemans and It would have been the two because mm. the Spielberg film which has done appallingly at the box office and is so good it's opening here on Friday they would have been seen as the main two. Now you have everything everywhere at once about which I don't really know what to say. I liked it, uh, but it's got momentum now and whoops and cheers, so Uh. it could even be. But I think that we can be hopeful in terms of screenplay, possibly director, possibly best picture. Uh, I think that probably Colin Farrell would be the favourite now in terms of best actor, which would be Mm. wonderful for him considering all he's done in the past 10 years in particularly. And... With two out of five and the best supporting actor, you'd have to hope, but th- there are other possibilities. Yeah. Unfortunately, Kerry Condon, I have a feeling that there's a couple of other people in the mix there who would be more likely to win than her, but you never know. And unfortunately, with on Colleen Kuhn, uh, All Quiet and Western Front has a lot of momentum Huge and it's film. in that category as well. So that would suggest that it might not, but Yeah, you never but, but
0: and in no way patronising to any of the nominations, no. and particularly those who are in, in an earlier stage in yeah. career. A, a nominate an Oscar nomination. Huge. That's a huge career. But that's boost. a win in yeah, itself. Yeah, You're just yeah, getting
2: yeah. just getting onto that list today is a yeah, win. Absolutely. And, and yeah. I mean, whatever happens after that, the win is
0: especially
1: from like Colin Kuhn, yeah, given yeah. Wh- where it came from and and you know what costs to make. It's exceptional.
0: Look, I know there were disappointments today across other films yeah. too, but look, let's leave those disappointments alone because I'm sure those disappointed people will be delighted for those who who were nominated. And thanks so much for for being part of that. Uh, half hour of celebration I'll go on for That's another fantastic. half hour yeah, we, could, like, we could just stay
2: talking about yeah, all evening we, we better haven't. talk about <laughs> other things and indeed
0: one of the things we're going to talk about very shortly is the aforementioned Steven Spielberg um, so we might, okay. we might get into a little bit of that thanks a million guys for that Thank Ruth you. Barton and uh, Paul Whittington Origin stories are hard to resist, and this week sees the release of the Fableman's. We mentioned it uh, before the break. Their very thinly veiled account of Steven Spielberg's childhood, depicting not only his formative years but also the break of his of his parents' marriage, as well as his first forays into movie making. It was announced this morning that the film is up for seven Oscars, with Spielberg personally notching up his twenty. Uh, 20th, 21st and 22nd Academy Award nominations and in his career now spanning six decades the films have enthralled audiences to the tune of $10 billion worldwide with us this evening to discuss Spielberg's work his preoccupations and indeed his style is Stephen Benedict before we hear that let's uh, hear the director himself recalling his first encounter with filmmaking
9: very earliest memory that I recall that associates itself to filmmaking was this urgent need to not be punished by my parents for wrecking my Lionel train set. They would break sometimes, and my dad got frustrated one day, and he said to me, if I have to take one of these trains one more time back to the Lionel shop to get repaired, I'm taking the entire train set away from you. That's the end. And I remember trying to figure out, well, how can I, like, have this thrill of, the great train wreck and not be deprived of my train, so I borrowed his little 8 millimeter movie camera. What I used to do when I used to stick my eye down within an inch above the tracks to get the perspective of the trains going by and I did that on film and I actually filmed the train wreck and all the cuts which I didn't really understand what I was doing but it was sort of intuitively I knew that if one train went left to right and the second train and another cut went right to left and they both met in the middle with the third cut didn't wreck the trains too bad but i was able to run the film over and over again and i really believe that was the first time i realized the power of film
1: can you say e.t
9: dinosaurs uh, uh, had their shot and nature selected them for
5: extinction where's my minority report
4: it's the same everywhere once the tripods start to move no more news comes out of that area <laughs> oh,
9: private james ryan is part of your outfit hey, what are you doing These are my these are my workers they should be on my train you're black
3: you're poor you're ugly you're a woman you're nothing at all
0: the richard nixon i know will muster the full power of the presidency and if there's a way to destroy your paper by god
8: he'll find it abolishing slavery by constitutional provision settles the fate for all coming time
0: Ah, yes, Steven Spielberg there talking about his first uh, inkling of filmmaking and how it came about, along with clips from Jaws, E.T., Jurassic Park, Minority Report, War of the Worlds, Empire of the Sun, Saving Private Ryan, Schindler's List, The Colour Purple, The Post, Lincoln, and at the very end, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, Steven Benedict. What a beautiful music mix that was. And thanks to John Williams, <laughs> you know, with the, without whom, yeah. Steven Spielberg's films would, let's face it, be be, be something else. But he mm. tell he told the story, uh, did Spielberg at yeah. the beginning of that about this this train set um, it it, it kind of reminds you of the Orson Welles quote about All right. filmmaking as the biggest train set any boy ever had
8: Yeah but you know I think in, in that clip the important word Spielberg uses is intu- intuitive intuition mm. You know, he intuitively knew, he's talking about crashing a train and trying to capture it on film. And he intuitively knew that he had to have one angle where the cameras, the train's going from left to right and the other angles from the train going from right to left and a third will crashing in the middle. And it's remarkable how, as a child, he just knew that that is something that you do. It's like a child who sits down at the piano and that they hear the music and they look at the notes and they know the ratio between mm. the, the sound ratio and... Whew, they're they all they to play. they start to And that's what Spielberg has. He has his intuition for film language, for film grammar, vocabulary, is really, really profound. And it's the fusion of many, many different dis- disciplines, editing, cinematography and sound. And I think it explains the great energy that he's able to generate in his films. He's, he's renowned for his action pictures, but also explains how he pinpoints the emotions to thrill us and scare us. And so for me, Spielberg's films are, excuse the pun, emotion pictures they move us like very very few other films do
0: yeah and indeed that, that the, the opening of fablemans are quite early and in, in the fablemans you get that you, you get him learning how to do that chain yeah. crash
8: yeah yeah
0: and 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 then the editing process comes into play uh, of course um let's let's have a listen to a clip which uh, features um it's the editing process that we're going to talk about here mm. um and he's talking here not just about how he does it but how other other directors, uh, directors go yeah. about yeah. the editing process
9: I've never felt I had a style I always felt that I was styleless. you have you have a filmmaker like Orson Welles who could only make an Orson Welles picture and that's all he could do and I have always envied filmmakers like Scorsese who make quintessential Scorsese pictures I could tell a highly stylized story as told by the screenwriter and I would more adapt his style or her style uh, in in the way I would tell the story I would serve the screenwriter and I would be a good storyteller but Hitchcock had a style and and Scorsese has a style, and certainly Wells had a style. I don't feel I have a style.
0: Ah, well, that's nice of you to not feel that, Steven Spielberg, but I'm guessing, Steven Benedict, that you probably would um, cont- hold the, you disagree him yeah, there. He's, yeah, he's protesting, protesting too much.
8: Too much. Absolutely. There's, there's, I wouldn't say it's false modesty, but he's trying mm. to deflect. You know, because the thing is that um, you've got to understand one thing about style. Style reveals content. Okay, style reveals content. And Spielberg is a consummate stylist. And that explains why his films are so easily to un- easy to understand. That's why they're so easily understood. They communicate so effectively because of the style that the audiences are never in any doubt as to mm. what we're supposed to be feeling. It's, there's clarity, there's emotional clarity. So there's excitement, there's sadness, there's laughter, there's fear. We always know what we're supposed to feel. So Spielberg is more, for me, is more than a style. He's um, he's a walking gallery of techniques which we hopefully we'll talk about in a minute but you know without the technique without the style his films would be nowhere near as successful as they are
0: I, I mentioned John Williams within it you know and I... yeah and, and you say you know how to feel and you know what to feel. Yeah. How important are the scores of John Williams in in nudging us in the right direction? If we saw a Spielberg film without yeah. that music, yeah. would the visual style, uh, uh, you know, uh, emo- well, evoke it, the emotions that we're, he's looking for, do you think? The
8: remarkable thing is that when uh, John Williams comes to make the, com- comes to compose the score, he has not read the script. He prefers not to read the script. So he prefers his first meeting with the film to be to see Spielberg's rough oh, culture. there you go and he's responding from the visuals and he's responding to the the emotional tempo the editing the camera movement the way Spielberg choreographs the scene with the actors moving in and mm. around the frame and um, Williams has frequently said this and it's not said enough by other people Spielberg has an encyclopedic knowledge of mu- of music, especially 20th century American music. Uh, in the Fablemans, you see that his mother was a professional pianist. That's where his love of music comes from. He actually scored his first amateur film himself, played it on the clarinet. OK, so he has a great intuition for cadence, crescendos, diminuendos, recitatives, repetition. And it, that... You can see and hear that in the mu- mm. in the movie without hearing the John Williams score, okay. So there's another thing there, and it's, I mentioned this: it's the tempo, okay. And he's collaborated with with John Williams, I think, on 30 films. His next collaborator I'm going to mention is his editor, Michael Kahn. They worked together for the first time in 1978. They have done 30 films together and in that time Michael Kahn has won three Oscars all for Steven Spielberg's films. And when uh, he goes to edit the film Spielberg doesn't really give him any notes because their working relationship is so strong now. He intuits, again, he intuits what Spielberg wants and the reason why he's able to do that is because the way the work that Spielberg has done on set, the way he moves the camera, the way he gets the characters to move back and forth within the frame and he gets a musicality from that. He creates the tempo and the editing, and that's where John Williams steps in. Yeah,
0: and I suppose that's that's about that's the great collaboration. Yes. that when film really works, it, yes. w- it works in in that way. But then we're back to the the visuals, and we're back to what we're seeing on the screen as right. kind of the starting point that everybody's reacting to that yeah. afterwards. So how, the imagery it, that. Spielberg is choosing to the way he's telling a story even though he's protesting that he doesn't have a style <laughs> but the way he's telling it and the imagery he's using must be vitally important.
8: Yeah, there's, there's two things that he loves doing. He loves backlighting and he has a preferred um, lens. He prefers a 21mm lens but um, we're going to mention his long-time collaborator, cinematographer Janusz Kaminski. Kaminski worked for, with him for the first time on Schindler's List and he's worked on every single film since. It's 29 years ago. And Kaminsky has won two Oscars, both of which were, were, were earned on, on Spielberg's films. And Kaminsky has says that himself and Spielberg understand each other so well that there's only one real big direction that Spielberg has ever given him. And he says, I want you to light the characters so they look noble, venerate them. And that, for me, provides an emotional tone. So there's emotional con- continuity yeah. all the way through the, the films. And there's a warmth and subliminal reassurance. And there's also the way Spielberg loves to move the camera. He loves dialing in for a close-up on the actor as the actor's looking off into the mid-distance or something like this. And so he will move the, ca- the actors around the frame. So perhaps more than any other director in cinema. What Spielberg does is, excuse the pun, he frames the emotion. Right.
0: Let's, we're going to listen to a clip of him here um, in an interview being asked about a particular scene in, in one of the films, in fact, right. Coast Encounters yeah. of the Third Kind, uh, which it seems to bring all the, those disciplines together in, in, in some ways. Let's have a listen to him in that interview.
9: Your father was a computer scientist. Your mother was a musician. When the spaceship lands, how do they communicate? That's they- a- very good question. I like that. (laughs) You've answered the question. They make music on their computers and they are able to speak to each other. You see, I'd love to say, you know, I intended that and I realized that was my mother and father, but not until this moment.
6: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that.
0: Again, although, is it fair enough that Steven Spielberg speaking about Close Encounters of the Third Kind and obviously a reference there to his mother and father, which is the story that's really at the heart of Fableman's as much as anything else it is about that. That's childhood story. Is he being disingenuous there? Or do you think he's actually, you know, being honest in terms of not knowing?
8: Well, we always know that sometimes an artist is unaware of what they're doing. Mm. They think they're working in a certain direction. All of a sudden, they look at it and go, my God, what have I done? And I think in the case of Close Encounters, it's quite legitimate. Um, maybe he's being falsely modest there. Well, maybe he was being modest, but it was a great insight anyway because I'd seen Close Encounters many times and I never tweaked it until James Lipton pointed it out. The father and the mother are actually talking through art and, art and yeah. science together.
0: But then, then, if you look at it from the other side, Tobias Spielberg is also a, a producer. And mm. a producer in the film world is much more, in, uh, you know, maybe astute yeah. in terms of what's going on behind the imagery, behind the artistry. Yeah. Is he different when he's producing? and not necessarily involved as a director. Do we see a different side to him?
8: Well, he's come in for some severe criticism as a producer because the way that his films have actually changed the cinematic landscape, you know, the alleged dumbing down of films and the blockbusters and the the sequelitis. So we're
0: talking about Back to the Future, the trilogy, I don't know whether that's dumbing down, but who framed Roger Rabbit, Gremlins, Men in Black and the Transformers franchise?
8: Yeah, but there, there are some magnificent works of art in there. I think Back to the Future is an absolutely deliriously fun, mm. especially the first one. And Roger Rabbit is a brilliant... Um, fusion of science and art together again. But, you know, I think as a producer, he said this many times that he, he when he's producing his own films, he definitely puts on a different hat. And it's not just, be, it's not sort of, it's a case of, oh, it's a Steven Spielberg film, give me $220, $220 million. He's very, very strict on himself. He's an incredibly efficient director, the way he mm. wasn't early on in his career, who's known for going wildly over budget. But I think um, the thing, uh, Sean, for when Spielberg is blamed for you know, the blockbuster-itis and the, the sequelitis. I think it's a little bit equivalent to blaming the Beatles for... <laughs> for, for pop music. For, well, not only for pop music, but for the way rock stadiums or all sports right. stadiums are, are used for, are for concerts. Because the Beatles were the first band, I think, to fill out a, a sports stadium. And the reason they had to do that was because there were so many people turning up at their smaller indoor venues. There was a crowd control issue. It was a safety thing. So yeah. there were more people outside than inside. So all of a sudden, the Beatles were put in Shea Stadium. And now you've got Garth Brooks selling out Crow Park for nine nights in a row. Is that the Beatles' fault? No, it's because of public demand. So Spielberg has produced these films the audience were found and they come flocking. We've got to remember when Spielberg emerged as a director, it was in the late 1960s he was working on television and at that stage in Hollywood's history the studios were on their knees. They were hemorrhaging money by mm. the millions. They had lost the audience they didn't know where they went. So when Spielberg arrived all of a sudden the family audience r- was rediscovered. So then the studio said well we have, a, we have the audience locked in we know what the audience is we'll just play it safe and keep making the same, same sort of stories. So it's like a captive audience.
0: Uh, um, obviously 20th, 21st Twenty-second Academy Award nomination, seven Oscars in total for the Fablemans. Will hmm. we be boo hissing the Fablemans uh, in terms of the Banshees of Inish Aaron or do you care to make a prediction on that one?
8: Um, I think it, I'd be very, very surprised if the Fablemans makes it. I think it's not his best film by any stretch, and I think um, the the Banshees has really caught a momentum. You can always tell if uh, down the ballot if it starts getting editing and score. I know it didn't, didn't get cast from design but if you start tr- racking up those sort of nominations you're on a huge momentum and so I think come the night it's maybe between Banshees and everything everywhere all at once that's That's, where you're, that's
0: where you're feeling at the ones yeah. like, I don't care about any of them except the Banshees <laughs> there you go Thanks Stephen thanks. and thanks for sharing your thoughts around Stephen with, with, Steve, Spielberg with us this evening that's uh, Stephen Benedict Now there are other things happening in the world apart from Oscar nominations believe it or not today and shrinking a new 10 part comedy drama from the makers of Ted Lasso uh, premieres on Apple TV plus this Friday it tells the story of a grieving therapist named Jimmy who falls into the habit of telling his clients what he really thinks about them slippery slope obviously that one and Jimmy's unethical practice will have unusual consequences for everyone involved Jason Segal takes the lead in this funny heartfelt series but could it be that a Hollywood legend steals the show from underneath him? Chris Washer has been watching, shrinking, and he joins me now. I I get, when I saw the Hollywood star, we better stop teasing and say who it is. When I saw the Hollywood star, I said, he's doing a thing for Apple TV. Yeah. Plus." Bob, Jell- the television has become a
10: new thing, a big thing now, if you can get stars of the calibre of Harrison Ford Harrison Ford yeah, and over the last year Harrison Ford's actually done two television series one of them is uh, uh, is it a Yellowstone Yellowstone being a series that I've never really gotten involved mm. with but Yellowstone uh, prequel series of and Mirror, and then this playing a supporting role opposite Jason Segel in, in, in Shrinking uh, he is in a supporting role Jason is front and centre Jason's actually one of the co-creators of this mm. but Jason is playing this 40 something Los Angeles widower who works as a psychotherapist but has had a, quite a rough year his wife Tia died in a car accident and he kind of went off the rails afterwards and despite the fact that he has his teenage daughter Alice living with him you know he doesn't seem to be caring much for her you know he's kind of you know he's caught up in himself he's having a lot of parties he's turned to drugs and booze and it's at one of those drug fueled parties you know out in his back garden mm. in a pool at 3am the middle of the night that a neighbour played by Krista Miller her name is Liz finally just you know wakes him up and says you know things are going to have to change yeah. and the next day he you know he saunters into work he's obviously hung over he's grown He's anxious and he, he just tries to make it through the day. But after seeing one too many clients, he starts to think, What would it be like? You know, I can't fix myself and I shouldn't be here to fix anybody else. But what if I tried? What if I told my clients what I really think yeah. of them? And that's exactly what he does. Yeah.
0: So he, he takes it from there. But not only does he do that, he also comes out and basically talks to his colleagues about, you know, what am I doing here? Yeah. And uh, why, why, why am I even bothering? His colleagues here being Paul, the character played by Harrison Ford, is kind of the boss of the, he owns the practice. Yeah, he runs the scene. clinic, yeah. And uh, Gabby, played by Jessica Williams. Um, and he, Jimmy, the, the Jason Segel character, is asking them, do you, ever get, do you ever get a little bit fed up with the job here? Be warned, there is some very strong language in the midst of this. <laughs>
11: You guys ever get so mad at your patients that all of a sudden you just wanna
9: shake them? Well, we don't shake them.
11: No, I know, I know, I'm rooting for them, I am. I'm like, come on, you fucked up person. You can change, and then they just never do.
9: Compassion fatigue. You ask questions, you listen, you stay non-judgmental, and you don't make that face. Sorry, it's just, Look,
11: we know what they should do. You know why? Because it's pretty fucking simple. I get sad when I do this thing. Maybe don't do that fucking thing. We know the answer. Don't you ever want just, to just make them do it? Great idea. We just rob them of their autonomy any chance they have to help themselves, right? And we become what? Psychological vigilantes?
7: <laughs> oh my god. I'm like sensing the sarcasm, but that sounds kind of badass.
0: There we go. Jessica Williams as Gabby, and before that, Paul uh, played by Harrison Ford and Jimmy, the kind of the lead character, I suppose, in shrinking the the new series that Chris Wasser is speaking to us about. The scene played there by Jason Segel, the character of uh, Jimmy, and that scene touches on it because it, we are talking about very vulnerable people in yeah. many in many of the clients that are going to to Jimmy, indeed Paul, and indeed Gabby. So there's there's a serious aspect to that. But it's
10: also very, very funny. So it's treading that line between the serious and the funny and of course it he's is. bereaved as well Yeah, I mean in many ways this is actually from the team that gave us Ted Lasso it's from Bill Lawrence he co-created Spin City created Scrubs developed uh, Ted Lasso it's from Brett Goldstein who plays the brilliant Roy Kent and actually writes an awful lot of Ted Lasso and Jason Segel had a hand in the creation too and it's mm. clear from the outset that they are going for that Ted Lasso brand of you know goofy yet sugary sweet uh, melodrama where a sad sack male is you know at the centre again but the difference with Ted Lasso being the sad sack male and Ted so the difference of that guy was that he, you know, he, com- he comes from America, he goes to England, he, you know, he, he takes up a job that he is clearly, you know, not qualified for, but everybody loves him. This time around, we're trailing on, you know, we're, we're coming dangerously close to something that is a little too problematic to enjoy at times, which is that Jason Siegel's character, he is messing with people's mental health. And even though there are great punchlines in there, and even though there are great comic performances, you do kind of finish some episodes going, I don't know about how, you know, yeah. I don't know if this is really appropriate in a way. Um, so it's very lucky, I think, to have Harrison Ford's Paul in the corner because he's kind of acting on behalf of us in a way where he's kind of going, "This is this is not right," and he's doing his best to advise Jimmy, but Jimmy just won't listen. And I suppose they can get away with some of the things in it because Jimmy himself is having a hard time.
0: Yeah, because one, one of the one of the t- the the clients that's involved here is a character called Sean, played by Luke Tenney. His is an interesting backstory yeah. and and kind of a, again one that you'd want to
10: tread very lightly ar- in, in and around. Yeah, and it's probably why this show is best you know, you, you, you kind of have to invest in it if you come away from a couple of episodes you'll think to yourself, well I didn't do that very well, but you know, watching ahead uh, with, with, with Sean's story, it actually, it starts to develop a little bit better, you know, he is this uh, he's this young war veteran, he served some time in Afghanistan, he had a hard time over there when, when he came back, he, since he came back he's been, you know, starting an awful lot of bar fights, and what Jimmy's advice is, let's, is li- to- let's listen to yeah. Jimmy's advice and then we can talk about the, the, the
0: quality of what going yeah. on then afterwards. So Jimmy again Jason Seagal here, telling his patient uh, Sean, played by Luke Tenney uh, talking about how they might go about uh, resolving these anger, anger issues Again, strong language in this clip
11: Okay, look, I'm on a level with you Last time you were here I was probably a little high and drunk, from the night before I'm going to go some shit But look, Sean, you and I, we have to talk about this This is not somebody who got into a no big deal bar fight with you this is somebody you kept hitting over and over, even after they were unconscious. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Well, what sets you off? Anything. Everything. Somebody bumping me. Somebody saying some shit. Somebody breathing wrong. When it happens, I just snap and then everything goes white. Can you make it stop? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
3: what the fuck am I doing here?
0: And that's Luke Tenney as the character of Sean uh, the the, the young war veteran as he is in in that scene uh, who clearly has some kind of PTSD is involved here certainly anger management issues and Jason Scowell as Jimmy from the series Shrinking that's a perfect example of I mean if you heard that
10: in isolation you said this isn't a comedy at all No that's true yeah it's what happens afterwards when he actually enrols Sean in an MMA class and then eventually Sean actually goes to live with Jimmy and if I'm telling you these things about the show you're going to think to yourself oh well they're just taking the mickey out of real life issues yeah. and they're taking the mickey out of you know mental health treatment as well. It, it it you you have to stick with it. And actually, when you do start to stick with it, it's kind of something that I like to call Stockholm Syndrome Telly in a way, because it does get in it does actually at one stage Paul Harrison Ford's Paul describes grief as a crafty little effort. He describes yeah, that to yeah. Jimmy. I'm obviously not gonna use the word, but that's exactly what this show is because you kind of write it off at the beginning, you think it's not that funny, it's not it doesn't work as a drama, but it all starts to come together, it finds its rhythm, it finds a groove and it does, it manipulates you but it manipulates you in the same way that Ted Lasso did you know, where it starts to tickle your funny bone it starts to pull at your heartstrings. and because of Harrison Ford's performance too, he's actually quite lovely here. He's, you know, he's got all the dry quips, he's got all the grouchiness but his grouchiness is quite endearing and I should say for a performer who has sort of, you know tapped into the comedy side of things in all of his great action Mm. roles and all of his great drama and thriller roles, he fully embraces it here and I kind of wish he'd done it sooner because the greatest compliment I can actually give this show is that I wish I had a Paul in my
0: All right, well, let's have a listen to a scene between Paul and and Harrison Ford and Jimmy Siegel. Um, He wants to be trusted uh, with his unorthodox methods.
11: Paul, I think I can help people if I just get my hands a little dirtier. Hey, be me for a second. Would you trust you? The answer is no. Well, you didn't let me be you, okay? Here. You gotta be kidding. Well, Jimmy... Sorry for always being so hard on you. It's only because I love you With all my heart. I don't talk like that. that. Look, kid, I'm worried about you. I get that. I, I understand that this year I have been uh, not great. I think I'm onto something. If you could just let me keep going. Are you even trying to be careful? Huh? Or are you just gonna burn your career and take me down with you? Coin flip. (laughs) Sorry, Paul, that was a stupid joke. I get, uh... Hey, could you just give me 10 seconds of silence and let me think about this? Yes, of course, Paul. That'll give us both a chance to- Can we start now?
0: Harrison Ford there as Paul, Jason Sigel as Jimmy in *Scene from Shrinking*. Um, you mentioned about being manipulated. I found myself laughing out loud at chunks of the Saw two episodes, and yeah. then I was a blubbering mess yeah. uh, by the end of the second episode. It's it's all the side stories, all the backstories of all the characters. That's kind of, is, does that develop further as you go into? that was
10: ca- That had me caught after episode two. Yeah, it is in a sense a sitcom in a way and all the great sitcoms have ensembles and there's, you know, a best friend, there's a neighbour, there's a mentor, there's a, yeah. you know, a, a daughter figure. Uh, yeah, it works because of that ensemble. It works because of Harrison Ford. Great cast. I think it works because it never tries to be anything other than what it is and it's not trying to be the funniest yeah. show of the year. It's not trying to be the best drama. It's just unapologetically sentimental and pleasant television and I think sometimes we could do it a bit more of that. So stick with it. All right, stick with it. Is the advice from Chris Wasser for uh, the first two episodes of Shrinking premiere this Friday on Apple TV,
0: plus new episodes arriving then on a weekly basis. And that is our lot for this wonderful Tuesday evening in uh, the era of Irish film Amandine Paso Devine and Leah Murphy researched Michelle Gibson was the broadcast coordinator Mark McGraw was on sound this evening and tonight's programme was produced by Keshi. We're back for part two of our concert from Tradfest from Temple Bar uh, that will be tomorrow night here on Arena so stay tuned for that